Hey guys, and welcome back. I am Dr. Patrice Carter, the coach's coach and the owner and founder of Breakpoint Coaching LLC, where we certify, equip, and train Christian life coaches. And if you're already a life coach, an OG life coach, you've been doing this for a while, but you're ready to monetize your coaching business and you want to start to develop e-courses and courses where you can actually bring in higher dollars, higher tickets, and have high-touch programs. I mentor coaches who want to do just that. So stay tuned. I'll share more details at the end about how you can reach out to me. And right now, I just want to get into today's topic. So some things have happened recently um, with clients and people that um, call me for coaching and ministering often. And one of the things I'm finding as a pattern is that we like to fix people's problems, y'all. <laughs> and that is a problem. <laughs> so I thought about that as a topic for this week, because as a life coach, and especially as a Christian life coach, the last thing that we need or want to be doing is trying to fix people's problems. That is not why our coaching clients come to us. Yes, they come because they want solutions. Yes, they come because they need um, accountability or they want accountability and they have goals that they have set for themselves that they want to achieve or milestones personally, professionally, spiritually that they want to attain to or obtain. But the, the thing they don't need is for us to fix it for them. And I think that that is very challenging for a life coach when they're presented with a client who has um, a lot of issues or maybe a lot of um, context around what they want to coach around, it can trigger our inner fixer as a coach. Now, is that you? Let me know. I know that's something I struggled with for a long time, but I finally learned to master and to um, to denounce and to crush my inner fixer. And I want to show you how to do that today. So today's topic is stop trying to fix your clients. Let's stop trying to fix our clients, guys, because we are doing them a huge disservice. And I've said this before. If you are a coach, you don't tell. You ask, you listen. You ask the client, you ask the Holy Spirit, and you listen to both simultaneously during the coaching process. So stay tuned. If you are not already subscribed to my channel, I invite you to please subscribe so and hit the notification bell so that you can be notified. Um, I drop videos every week. And my whole purpose is to be a blessing and a resource and a subject matter expert for all things related to Christian life coaching and to bless my fellow coaches and those that want to be coaches with tips, tools, tricks, and resources, not tricks like trick or treat, but um, pro tips on how you can be an amazing Christian life coach and you can serve your clients. Uh, so let's just get right into it. I'm going to be um, just sharing some things from, of course, personal experience, but there's also a resource. I always want to be able to provide you guys with a resource. There's a book that I'm going to be sharing from today called Coaching Questions by Tony Stolzfus. I love this book. It's amazing. I've been using, using it for a very long time, and I will put the information in the show notes um, on how you can get a copy. I promise you, if you want to be a great Christian life coach, you need to have this in your library, in your toolkit. So he shares that there are five great reasons to ask, five great reasons to ask. And he says, these are key reasons that we should ask instead of tell. Now, I want to tell you that if you're telling your clients and you're solving their problems for them, you're cheating them out of the process of discovery. And Francis Chan shares that if we give people advice that is rooted out of our own opinion and not what the Lord is saying, then that's false prophecy. So that really resonated with me when he said that, because oftentimes we want to be 
the voice that our client hears. We want to be that voice, that expert in their ear, in their head. And that's not our role. Our role is to partner with them, to move them forward towards that which God has for them. So I can't say that enough. And one example that comes up for me before we get into this is clients will ask in the midst of a coaching conversation, does that make sense? Like they'll say, does that make sense? Well, it's not my responsibility as their coach to um, to say it makes sense because it matters whether it makes sense to them. So when I am asked that question, I'll put it back on them and I'll say, well, does it make sense to you? Because it's more important that you understand it and that it, it resonate with your spirit and your heart so that when you move out on it, you have confidence. You know, is it what the Lord is saying? So with that, back to the five great reasons to ask. Soulsfish shares that all the information is with the coachee. And that is so true. There's an amazing scripture that I love that says the Holy Spirit will bring us in remembrance of all things. He will bring us into remembrance of all things. So everything that we need is with the client. So the truth, the solution, those things do not rest with me as the coach. They rest with my client. Asking creates buy-in because if a client knows that we're listening and we really want to know what's on their heart and their mind, they know that we care, then um, whatever solutions or whatever goals they set and things they come with with that generate from their own heart, they're going to have buy-in and they're going to be bought and sold in the process of working with us, knowing that we're there to partner and that we care because we're not overriding their heart. I hate when I'm trying to share my heart with someone. Um, Maybe you guys have experienced this and they just start to tell me their opinion and start to fix my issue or tell me what I need to do. Oh my gosh, that just makes me see red because I'm not coming to them for that. I'm very self-aware. So most times I have a level of self-awareness. I just like to process so that I can just hear myself and then hear what God is saying. And I'm, so I'm coming to them as more of as a sounding board not to be fixed. Also, Stolzwitz goes on to share that asking empowers. So when you ask someone a question, a client, a question related to their coaching topic for that session, and it empowers them because it gives them the sense, which is true, that they have the ability to solve their problems, that they are, it creates confidence that they can get through this. It creates confidence they can do this. Um, but we we cheat them out of that confidence when we, again, tell them the solution or try to fix it. So we want to empower our clients. And he goes on to say that um, he says um, that the client has great ideas already. So it's our job to help generate those ideas. And we do that through brainstorming. I'm going to do a video um, and a podcast um, on tools and additional coaching tools that we can use and methods more so in coaching sessions that help generate ideas from clients and it helps them to think and to process because sometimes clients are lazy. They don't want to dig deep. And oftentimes because clients don't understand the difference between coaching and counseling, they come to the coaching session wanting you to direct them and to give them answers and solutions. And that is not your role. That is not my role. That is not our role. And if you find yourself doing that, I compel you to stop in the name of Jesus. Stop doing that. It says also, he shares that asking develops leadership capacity. Asking develops leadership capacity. So when you ask a client, what could you do about that? Then it moves them away from depending on us for the answers and towards taking leadership in their situation. And so you think about that old saying um, that says, if you teach a man, if you teach a man to fish, then he'll eat for life. 
But if you help him fish or you fish for him, then he'll be dependent upon you. And we're not trying to create dependent clients, codependency. We're trying to depend to create independence and we coach interdependently. So I hope that makes sense. And then he says that asking creates authenticity. I love that. Asking creates authenticity because when we ask, it begins to create a bond between us and our client because it nurtures a place of safety. Uh, we become a safe place for them. We become a sounding board for them. It gives us an opportunity that if there's something that our client is experiencing that we too have experienced and overcome, then there's a way that we can bring that and share that in the conversation with the client, which helps them to know that they're not alone and also that we're not robots. <laughs> I think sometimes when we think about working with our client, with our coach, if we're a client watching this um, video or listening to this podcast, that our coaches don't go through anything. And that's just not true. But I think that that's our fault as coaches if we're not authentic and transparent and vulnerable. Um, of course, that has its place in the coaching relationship and it needs to be handled in context. But it's very important that our clients know that we are human, not superhuman, and that we understand and really try to meet them in that place that we resonate authentically. So those are the five reasons why it's important to ask. And these are the top 10 asking mistakes. So again, we're still talking about um, fixing our clients. So when we don't ask them, um, when we tell them we're fixing, we're trying to fix, we're trying to, solo to solve, we're trying to give a solution. Um, we're trying to basically be the, the voice in their head. And I don't ever want to be that for a client. So just sharing transparently for a moment, I was that person growing up that I always needed everyone to um, tell me I was making the right decision. I was doing the right thing. And I couldn't make a move without someone telling me it's okay to do that. You have permission. That's the right decision. And so I always had other people's voices in my head. And then if I would make the decision and it blew up, then I would be so angry because I felt that I had operated outside of my own thoughts and my own decisions. And so it made me feel just really um, down, depressed, sad, demoralized, stupid. I mean, it's that's a harsh word, but that's how I felt because I was giving other people control over my decisions instead of trusting my own. And so that's the gift that we want to give our client is that they are able to make sound, wise decisions. And as Christian coaches, they do that and we do that with the help of the Holy Spirit. So we have a power team. We have the power source, the ultimate source to help us and help our clients so that we don't have to lean to our own understanding. And I think about that scripture. What is it? Proverbs 3, 5 and 6. Um, Be not lean not to my own understanding in all of your ways. Acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. Jeremiah 33 and 3 says, pray to me and I will show you great and wondrous things which you know it's not. So God has the answers. And the client has it because God planted it there. And my job now is just to mine it out and to dig and to um, do that by questions. All right. So here are the top 10 asking mistakes um, and how to correct them. <laughs> so the first thing is asking closed ended questions. Closed ended questions means that you ask a question that the, the client can answer with a yes or a no. And so when you get to that space that they can answer with a yes or a no, you basically hit a brick wall. And if you're a new coach or maybe you're a seasoned coach, again, who leans more towards telling, then at that point, because you haven't exercised that asking muscle, you'll go into giving advice. So let's not be lazy as coaches. Let's spend time asking and perfecting open-ended questions. 
And so he gives us a solution on how we can convert a closed-ended question to an open-ended question, and that is by asking similar questions. Is there a way to do that and still keep evenings open for your family? That's yes, that's a yes or no. He says, but how you can do that, how you can shift that is, what could you do to still keep evenings open for your family? See, there's a difference. So I'll say it again. Here's how you ask, convert a closed question to an open question. So the closed question is, is there a way to do that and still keep evenings for your family? Yes or no? But a better question, an open question sounds like, what could you do to still keep evenings open for your family? So that generates solutions. It, it means that that person has to actually think about, the client has to think about their response. Then he has another, um, another example of a closed-ended question. Can you, can you realistically take that on to that's yes or no? So a better question, a solution-oriented question, and a question that will generate ideas is, how would your life change if you took that on as well? So the client, again, has to dig deep and think, and that's what we want our clients. We want for our clients is depth and reflection and, um, and autonomy and independence with that knowing that they are making right decisions because it's coming from what's inside of them number two top two um top 10 asking mistakes is asking solution oriented questions so he says that's a special kind of closed question and it's basically it's a piece of advice that you put a question mark on the end so it's basically like giving our clients a solution but putting a question mark on the end so that we're posing it as though it's a question but we're really trying to give them an answer so an example is Shouldn't you check in with your boss before you act on this? So basically, I'm telling them what they need to do, but I'm putting a question mark on the end to try to make it as though it's their idea. Uh, could you do your jogging with your spouse? That person may be talking about wanting an accountability partner, and now I'm trying to tell them they should pick their spouse as the accountability partner, but I don't even know all the details. So with that, he's saying that if you ask any question and you started with the words, should you, could you, will you, don't you, can you, or are you, then you're in trouble. And the way that you know that you have stepped into a mess is the client says, that's such a good idea. And many times we will pat ourselves on the back for that because they said that's a great idea. But if you hear a client say that's a great idea, that means that you have just told them something and that lets you know that you are now in the vein of telling and not asking. So he's saying there that one of the things that we might ask is instead of asking those questions with a solution and a question mark on the end is, for example, in your company, what kind of channels do you need to go through before you act on this? Another example, I noticed that all of your exercise options were solitary activities. How could you involve other people in your exercise routine? So again, see how that allows the client to develop the solution and to think deeper. Number three, seeking the one true answer. He says, and I agree with this, there's no one true answer to or um, miracle question. There is something called a miracle question, but in coaching, we don't want to keep focus on trying to just ask the one perfect question. We want to trust the process of coaching and just really lean in and the way that we do that is we just continue to ask our clients, tell me more. So what that sounds like is you mentioned that X, Y, and Z. 
Can you tell me more about that? So I don't try to pretend as a coach that I understand every topic that my clients come with. Some of them are deep and some of them are way beyond my level of expertise as a coach. And if they're beyond what I can address, then I will refer them to someone else. But if it's just that they're coming with a problem that maybe I've never seen before or coached around before, and I feel that, okay, I, I can assist, then I'm just going to ask them to tell me more and inform me about their thoughts around this problem or this goal. And I'm going to try to get understanding. And so with that, it allows for expansion and the clients to sort of process and work through their own situation. Four, he talks about um, one of the top 10 asking mistakes is asking rambling questions. So in our coaching, when we train our coaches, we call that stacking questions. So asking questions that just kind of build on each other all at once and not giving the client an opportunity to process one question at a time. So that or asking a question that goes into a question that goes into a question and again, does not give that client space to, to, add, to answer or to reflect. And so we want to be careful in our pacing of our questions and not stacking questions. So we want to ask and then be quiet, ask and allow for reflection and feedback from the client. So this is not our session. Remember, this is their session. He goes on to share that also another um, number five asking mistake is interpretive questions. Um, Meaning that he says asking this question in a way that prevents the client from reacting to your spin um, or putting a spin or putting um, putting my words on what the client says. So instead of putting my words, the solution he tells us is we want to use the client's words back to them verbatim, word for word. So that way they're hearing themselves and not us. So don't try to interpret what your client is saying. So that sounds like what I hear you saying is X, Y, and Z, but the X, Y, and Z came from your interpretation and not theirs. So when you say, can, can I clarify what I hear you saying? Say it back to them the exact way they said it to you and then ask them, is that accurate? So I hope that makes sense. If the client says to me, I saw a fat fluffy dog running down the street and it really scared me. Then my response back to them is, well, what I heard you say is that you saw a fat fluffy dog run down the street and that scares you. Is that accurate? So I don't try to interpret that. So that I could assume they're scared of dogs. Maybe they're not. Maybe something about the fat fluffiness <laughs> threw them off, but we don't want to interpret what they're saying. We want to stay in the vein of specifically what they said. And that goes about that goes to being a fixer. So whenever a client says something, it could trigger something that maybe that coach is not healed from or maybe that coach has dealt with in the past or maybe that coach is afraid of. And they immediately start trying to fix it based on their experience and what they went through and how they got to the other side. And that is not appropriate. And so really be careful or wary of conversational triggers with a client that trigger your pain as a coach, that may trigger your experience. And there are ways to share, but in a non-fixing way, but you want to ask the client for permission. So may I have permission to share um, something with you? And again, only doing that as you're led by the Holy Spirit. So even there, you don't have carte blanche to just start sharing everything. You need to get permission, but also be led. So I hope that makes sense. 
Also, um, number six, top 10 asking mistake is asking rhetorical questions. Well, what were you thinking? I mean, are you really going to throw your career away like that? That's not how you want to approach a client. So with that, that again is fixing by shaming them. So what we want to do there is ask, instead of a rhetorical question, we want to ask them, um, we want to change our attitude about what they said. And we want to um, say, hey, can I challenge you on that? Or um, could we reframe that? Let's reframe this. You know, how is focusing on this going to help you get where you want to be? Great questions are who, what, when, where, in what ways, how. Those are great leading questions for coaches that keep you from fixing. Remember, fixing sounds like could you, would you, should you, do you, will you. All right. So please make sure you make notes while you're listening to this. All right. Number seven, um, asking mistake is asking leading questions. And a leading question says, well, how would you describe that feeling? Are you feeling discouraged? Are you feeling sad? Are you angry? So we don't want to lead or name our client's emotions. And the way that we do that is if you find yourself and you've already put that question out there is add or something else. Are you angry? Are you sad? Or is it something else? And that way you allow them that space to name it for themselves. Um, also, one of the things that you don't want to do in terms of leading is when a client hears you say something like, hey, are you sad? Is, is Would you say that you feel sad about that? And they haven't said that. They will more than likely say, yeah, I think so, because you fed that into their spirit. And so, again, that could be your stuff, not theirs. And we don't want to do that. It's not fair to the client so with that he said um you can be sure um you can change midstream so if you find yourself asking a leading question then you can get out of it again by saying or something else or saying you know what that's not the question i want to ask let me ask it like this allow me to ask you this way and that way the client can trust and you know trust you and feel safe that you're not trying to lead them anywhere. You're walking with them and they're actually in the lead. Number eight, he says, neglecting to interrupt. Mm -hmm. So what that sounds like is being too timid to interrupt and letting a client just take you down in total rabbit hole and on a ride. And I promise you, clients will take us on these long, expansive rides in the form of stories and a litany list of everything that was wrong and happened in the past. Now, I'll caveat that by saying that when I have a client and it's our first session, I will allow that session to be longer. I do I do hourly sessions. So um, and I do have some clients I meet with for two hours or so, but it's planned. But for every first initial session with a new client, I, I allot 30 plus 30 to 45 minutes because they need to do a brain dump possibly and they need to get it all out. But if you find that you're working with someone who tends to be rambly or they, they're chatty, I say a chatty Kathy, and they want to give you every single detail, then you need to get permission up front to interrupt. And so what that sounds like is, hey, um, Kathy, thanks so much for you know this opportunity to just coach with you. And I noticed that you have you unpacked a lot and that you have a lot of detail. But may I have permission to just interrupt so I make sure that you know we get everything accomplished that you wanted to accomplish in this session and also to make sure I understand. Is that okay? And so when you get that buy-in, again, because asking creates buy-in up front, then they won't be offended when you interrupt. Now, number nine says one of the top 10 asking mistakes is interrupting. 
And so that is the client is in this vein that they're answering a question that you ask, they're processing and you're constantly interrupting. You're breaking the flow of reflection. And that is a total fix or move that we want to interrupt, interrupt, interrupt because we're making it about us um, trying to get now it's important to get understanding, but interrupting comes from impatience on the part of the coach. Maybe we're excited, but we still need to manage that. Or we feel like, oh, we got it. We got the answer. We heard their answer and we want to stop. So interrupting is not great. It's not good. It's a no-go. Again, unless it's the situation number eight that I previously covered. And then number 10, he says, is um, one of the things that we don't want to do is asking mistake is to ask why. Now, I I disagree with that somewhat, but I'll tell you why. He says, we want to not ask the question why. He says, why can put people... Um, it could cause them to clam up and put them on the defensive because when you ask a question such as, well, why did you do that? You know, that immediately can put them on, you know, edge or make them feel defensive or sad or upset or, you know, just anxious that they did something wrong or judged. They feel judged. So he says, instead of why, ask what instead, you know, um, instead of saying, why did you turn the job down? What factors led to you making that decision or turning the job down? Instead of asking, well, why do you think she responded that way? You could ask, well, what's causing you to anticipate that response? Or why can't you talk to him about that? Instead, ask, well, what is it that you need to talk to him about? Um, Or what do you need to talk to him about that? What is important to cover in that conversation? So I hope this has been helpful. Um, Because it it is so important that we begin to have these healthy, um, amazing conversations with our client. And they start by asking. They start with asking. They start with listening. They start with reflection. And they stop with fixing. So anytime we find our clients triggering our inner fixer and we immediately want to start leading, telling, directing, interpreting, interrupting, we are going off course as a coach. And so I hope this has been helpful. I hope that you will take some of these um, these important reasons to ask and the top 10 asking mistakes and solutions and begin to apply them to your coaching conversations with your clients. Let me know if this has been helpful. Um, what are some of your takeaways? Were there any aha moments? And um, just comment below. So guys, again, I'm Dr. Patrice Carter, the, um, the coach's coach. And again, through Breakpoint Coaching LLC, which is my company in partnership with my husband, Dalton. We certify, equip, and train Christian life coaches, and we do that through live course instruction. We have courses every quarter, um, 12-week courses where we certify coaches live via Zoom. We work with them one-on-one, and then if you don't have the time to maybe sit through a live course on Zoom, then we also have e-course instruction, and you have 12 months to complete that. Um, They are both fully credentialed at 60 hours at the board certification level. So we were super proud of that. And then also, if you're already a coach and you're already certified, but you want to monetize and scale your coaching practice by adding courses, then I would love to mentor you in that. I have a signature mentoring program that is high touch and high value. 
And I teach you step-by-step how to develop your course. So guys, you can learn more about that at www.drpatricecarter.com. And I'll share all of my information. I look forward to hearing from you. And if you have any questions, if you're a coach and you just want to ask me questions, please do that. Um, You can connect with me in the um, comments or you can reach out to me through my website. God bless you guys. And I'll talk to you soon.